Hey, now that we're in the conference mood. Oh yes. Conferencing. The big fall the conference for the American Academy of Religion, Society of Biblical Literature. Yes. Here we go. This episode dropping right before it's everyone either, heads out. Let me just ask you, AAR, SBL or SBL, AAR? <laughs> you know, which one you put first in the list matters. <laughs> Hashtag matters. It does matter. Hashtag be better. <laughs> Hey everyone, I'm Brian Doak. And I'm Leah Payne. This is Weird Religion. The podcast for people who know religion is weird, but love it anyway. We're going to chat a little bit about the yearly ritual, the founding ritual of being an academic in the field of religious studies and biblical studies, which is to go to the main conference every year. Um, yes. And I will talk about a paper that I am presenting about a weird topic that you will enjoy. And if you hear this and if you're at the conference, if you come to the session, I'd love to say hello. Oh, I love that so much. But you're also doing a thing too. Yes, I am. I am doing an author meets critic panel and another response to two books that I'm really, really excited about. But so. you're the critic, right? I am, which is a really mm, fun place that's to be. The, that's the 100% best place to be now. It before, is. It's really fun. Before we get into these nice little details, mm -hmm. let me ask this. What is your best tip for conference going, for conference attendance <sighs> as a scholar? And should anyone wander into this world? What do you? I what have do you so think? many tips. Mm. There are some that are just for your physical well-being. Oh, okay. let's, let's talk about the bodies. So drink a ton of water. That's mm -hmm. one tip. You mm -hmm. don't you don't think about it when you're at a conference, but you mm. should. It's like being in an airport. You're in this space yes. where it's not really real, but it's not. It's a liminal space. It's a liminal space, conference center, very strange. You dehydrate quickly. And there are always these cavernous places where it's like, are these things ever full of people? Because this conference is, I don't know, 10, 12,000 people. And it never really yeah. feels full at all. Oh, no. It always feels... E Very eerie. Yeah. The st you know how they'll have like the Starbucks inside a conference, mm -hmm. though? That feels full. That's full. But then everything else, it's like a zombie apocalypse film set. Yeah. Anyhow, so drink a lot of water. Okay. You got to keep Hydrate. your stamina up. Comfortable shoes. Oh, oh, that reminds Very me. Very important. Okay. Tell me, pass judgment on my idea. Okay. Instead of, and I'm doing a multi-city thing where I'm flying there, but then I'm going to visit my family for oh, Thanksgiving yes, in Wisconsin. Nice. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just letting the world know I through like, my podcast. <laughs> I love, <laughs> just put that I love hearing there. you say Wisconsin. For everybody. Okay, but. Wisconsin. I can't do it. Wisconsin. Okay, great job. I don't say it like that. I've, I've, I've lost my accent 98%. Um, I hear it every now and then. Okay. Anyhow, keep going. So I thought to myself, instead of having like conference shoes, like dress shoes, mm -hmm. I'm look, look under the table, look at these shoes I'm wearing. <laughs> okay. I'm going to wear these shoes for the entire thing. And I'm not even going to bring another pair of shoes. You are? Now, describe the shoes. What are you laughing at? These, I would, I would say. I'm just like bouncing my feet up and down. That's what she's laughing at. <laughs> these, this is like what my four-year-old would do. do, do, do these do, do. are like dad, dad tennis shoes. Yeah, they're running that, shoes. I don't want to, I don't want to be in. They're like, they're running shoes, but they're also like dad conference shoes. And I can, <laughs> if I go on a run at the conference. What? I don't know what brand they are. They're Nike Pegasus. Oh, okay. The new Nike Pegasus road shoe. Oh, okay. See, the Pegasus you know, 40. They're the Nike well. Pegasus 40. They're gray. They okay. go with anything. Dad vibes. <laughs> yes. I'm surprised because if you have never met Brian in person, of the two of us, Brian is definitely the more fashionable person. Oh, that is not true. That's not no, true. No, that is a hundred percent true. No. And so it's funny to me that this is the year that you're you're gonna do it. I'm gonna Yeah, go how for are it. you going to make that fashionable? Because I know that that is, you know, who's your fashion icon, conference fashion icon? Like Oh, you and know, any of those just any of those super old guys walking <laughs> around. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that's, I just, I need to go there. That's who I need to. <laughs> but are come, you going to wear a jacket? Like what's the. Yeah, what's I'm, I'm, I'm going to wear a very gray flannel jacket. Okay. I'm going to wear, I'm going to wear a tie and okay. I'm going to wear jeans and I'm going to wear these. Excellent. Or Can't I, wait I've got some it. like black khakis I can do with these two. Kind of like to. Great. You know what it's I mean? It's going to look great. I trust you. Yes. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm going to go for it. That's great. And you so, know yeah, what I'm so doing? the shoes, you know you're, doing? that's exactly right. What? Okay. My, I'm I'm going with, do you remember the character Moira from the show Schitt's Creek? I do not. <laughs> is, she the, okay. is she the the matriarch? She's the, of the mom. The mom. She's the okay. matriarch. Okay. okay. And she always wears black and white and has just this wild extravagant fashion sense mm -hmm. she is what i've got in mind for my outfit so oh, if great. you see me at the conference i like that think moira i like that's, that i mean i'm not gonna do the the hair sometimes gets a little over the top but i'm mm -hmm. definitely i'm going for it i'm trying to channel her vibes here's the thing though that i think and i'm gonna slip in one of my own tips here that i, and I think we're talking about this is you really have to think if you're going to be traveling, especially if you're tacking on another trip on the end of the conference, you have to think about your luggage. And it always seems like, mm -hmm. well, I'll just pack mm -hmm. more stuff and carry it. The mm -hmm. answer is no. Mm -mm. Yeah. No, you will not. Pack light. Because right in the middle of all that, you're going to wish that you hadn't because then you're walking around the airport. And so I'm thinking, how could Sweating. I get away with? So I'm thinking one belt. One pair Wait, of shoes. How much room does a belt take up in the? You know, when when you start talking like that, suitcase. That's that's the attitude. <laughs> that's the wrong attitude. Okay. For minimalism. Okay. One belt. Okay. One pair of shoes. I'm bringing two. I'm bringing two. Okay. Flats. Okay. And then like little booties. Okay. But yes. no, you're, but you're not even doing tennis shoes at all. Well, no. You know, I should try it. I I actually think that one of these years I should just go for it. And I think that I've seen people who make that really cute. Oh, absolutely. So I only, so I just That's want to be clear to, to all the tennis shoes. shoes, to all the tennis shoes, fa fashionistas, aficionados that are listening to this podcast that were offended by me laughing at Brian about that. Everyone who already only, has a job and is not interviewing for it's jobs. It's only because you are, you have in my mind an elevated fashion mm -hmm. sense and so i can't wait to see what you do with this i it's love gonna be great i love the reparative work here that's be, being done it's gonna be great it's a reconciliation um, okay one big tip we were talking about this yep. just before we started re started recording which is don't go to sessions all day long oh no do not do that oh that's that's a biggie that's a do not one. this is for all of you grad students who are super eager to come i know we have grad student listeners take our advice don't do that if you're going to go to anything and everything, and Brian's going to disagree with me, it's the receptions. I don't disagree at all. I think it's great. Um, I just say- <laughs> You're just like, I don't go to you them. You could also, you could skip a lot of the sessions and you could also skip the receptions. <laughs> I just That's think- the Brian Doak. Here's, okay, here's a hot cool. take. This is mean. I don't want to throw off anybody's life, but I'm going to put this out there. Okay. And it's based on my own hurt. I'm projecting. Uh -oh. This is for me, not for you, oh, listener. But if you're a grad student out there- there is a, if you go, if you are like, no, I'm going to go to this really hard to go to session and sit there because a potential collaborator or doctoral advisor mm, will be presenting mm -hmm. and they'll notice me, they won't. Probably not. They don't care that you're there. You know, I think. Do you think that's too mean? Is that, is that, is that. Well, no, I mean, I, I think that I'll just speak. I, I don't have, you know, this unending line of students who are waiting to talk to me mm -hmm. after but when i do when people do come and talk with me yeah um i'm coming down from the um anxiety and the the kind of the energy level that it takes to be in front of people so i have a hard time remembering 
details of those conversations. So mm-hmm. I would say you'd probably have better luck if you saw that person in line at Starbucks or in the conference, yes, you know, I know what you mean. just kind of in a casual, Oh, professor so-and-so hi, I'm so-and-so and it's really nice to meet you and your work has meant so much to me. And, yep. you know, so I think maybe th- that's just my own take, but because I'm sort of preoccupied in that moment, is that mm-hmm. how it is for you? Cause I get nervous. Oh, absolutely. And I've met with students before. It's I'm not a doctoral advisor for anybody. I don't teach in a, in a doctoral a doctorate granting part of my institution, but I have met with students throughout the years who have been like, oh, you know, you navigated this or you did this or whatever. And I've always really enjoyed meeting with those students. I think that those meetings are actually probably more helpful than meeting with mm. the people themselves. I, mm-hmm. I just, I just remember, I remember I would want to lift a burden, not place another burden on the mm. seeking student. That, oh, that's a good point. Do you know what I mean? That's a very to like good be point. like, oh, if mm-hmm. I just did this one little thing oh, right, yeah, my no, whole that, life would that, be different. No. If I had just been sitting in the front row and if they'd just seen me and if I just asked right. this question, it's like, yeah, probably probably not going to move the dial. I would think no. Yes, it's I not, think that's right. It's not I to discourage right. though. And I think to get in the spirit though, I mean, granted I did those things. I just don't think they paid off. Well, here's another tip that it doesn't come from me. So we can just, all, I'm going to throw it out there. Mm-hmm. But my advisor once told me, you know, because at the um, the schools who have PhD programs that have funding, mm-hmm. um, many of them hold receptions mm-hmm. that anyone can come to yep. at the AAR, yep. SBL, SBL AAR. <laughs> um, and so there are oftentimes groups of aspiring PhD students, so master's students who go to the receptions thinking that they're going to find whatever pref- professor it is. Yeah. And it can be a little bit awkward to watch. Yes. And it, I awkward to participate awkward. in <laughs> raises hand. Did you do over, it? Oh Did yes. You do it? Just apps. I had, a, oh, I had, I, had I had, a, I had a, an encounter with a professor in my field, somebody who is, is retired now, but I, I won't mention their name, but it was one of <laughs> it's a, it was one of the most painful experiences of my graduate student really? life. And I still think about Wait it. Wait a minute. I Tell st- me about it. I still think about it. With a cringe to this very oh, day. Oh, oh, it was that, that bad. My heart, but my I look heart at goes it. Out to but I look at doctor, it, future doctor Doke. I look at it though, and I'm like, look, that was not my fault. The way that went, <laughs> it was not my fault. It just it would have had to involve somebody just trying in a basic human way to talk to another human being. <laughs> And now I don't know what was happening. You know, it's like they say, who, who is it famously who said, be, be careful in this world for you. Do, you do not know the heavy burden another person is carrying. True, wise I, words, whoever I, I didn't was. know, but you know, in a situation like that, maybe that person should have had that saying in mind and treated me yes. that way. Do you know what? Because I'm the one who was, you know, the lowly person who needed to be treated as though I was carrying a heavy burden, which I was. You know, I, I have to give a shout out to legendary scholar, Cornel West, All right. politician, yep. everything. So- Back in the day, many years ago, mm-hmm. my when I was, I, can, I think I was a either early in my PhD program or mm-hmm. a master's student, mm-hmm. saw him, really? my friend and I did, wow. because he was at the AAR. Buoyed by the presence of the friend. Yes, we, we yes. went up to him together. Yep. We said, That's we are way. huge fans of your work. So wonderful to meet you. And I have to tell you, so Dr. West is a very famous person. Mm-hmm. And he was so gracious. Oh, I could I could see that. Took all the time in the world. We still have a picture. It was like you, we Dr. were West. super yeah, starstruck. Anyway, so some of those big time people are actually so warm and gracious. Oh, totally. But of course, I mean, the person who gave me this advice, their their point was a lot of times at these um, receptions, people go to hang out with their peers. 
Yes. They're not, and they want to relax because they've just done something that is very, you know, exerting. And then they go. And then if you are this young, most professors are so nice about it, Mm -hmm. but it can, you can see how, you know, you're coming down off of like a long day and then there's this person and not all professors are skilled at, at hiding their exhaustion or irritation. Did I ever tell (laughs) you? Sounds like yours wasn't. Did I ever tell you that the, that, the first identifiable, to me at least, identifiable panic attack I ever had oh. was in 2005 at the book display in Philadelphia upon seeing a professor whose program I wanted to study in. <laughs> Just, Wait, what happened to you physically? I was Here's what happened. I was at a book display uh-huh. and I, I saw this book by this professor uh-huh. or the professor was an editor and I picked it up and I was gazing upon it, feeling nervous, being like, oh my gosh, can I do this? Right. And I look up and from you to me away, is that professor? <gasps> oh. And I just felt, I, I, it was a combination, a sudden feeling of like nausea and also like dizziness Ugh. and shortness of breath. I'm and feeling all those feelings for you my, right now. My wife who was with me at the time, this is the only SBL she's ever come to. I was a, I was a, <laughs> I was a pre-PhD student at the time. We had no children, so she could oh. come to these things. And I, I said, hey, I think I just need to step out of here. And we were on the side and I was telling her about how I felt. And she said, oh, that sounds like a panic attack. And I was like, maybe oh. it is. I have not had many panic attacks in my life. You know, probably count them on two hands. But they, you know, but that was, I think that was one. And ah. it was because of that, just seeing someone. So I remember that feeling because it was a very impressionable time in my life. And I, I remember mm-hmm. how that felt. And mm-hmm. so for you students out there, any students listening, any, any professors listening who still feel this way, just want you to know. Been there. Been there. Am there. You know, totally get it. For the students, and I don't know how many people in our audience are students, one other suggestion that I would make, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is so conferencing is super expensive. It is. And I, you know, I know both of you, both of us, working class kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to almost never eat when I was at these things because I was trying to save money. Um, and so if you are shoestring conferencing, just to let you know, right. one thing you can go to those those receptions for is food. Food, go, complimentary get, food. Get, get and the free drinks. food. Feel no, feel nothing. Go, go to the, you go. Here's one thing you should do: go to the Harvard reception. I do go to the reception. It's my own alma mater. That's I don't know great. a single person there. There are thousands of people there who have never attended Harvard. And you just go and get have great no intention. Food. You just go there and get their food. It's not always great, but like you go there, you get their stuff. Our our um, receptions that. usually invest in the drinks and then they also have, you know, fancy snacks. Mm -hmm. And so if you are, you know, trying to do this on the cheap, I highly recommend there's no shame in doing that. Absolutely. And you know, you might meet somebody who's a peer who will be with you over the long term. I crashed the Vandy reception last year and the way, the way that the small crowd I ran into when I crashed it greeted me, it was as though like that third glass of wine kind of like, Hey, Like sort of thing. Oh you yeah, know? that's the other thing is. You know, and I was yeah. like, okay. Go I, to bed early. It was like that Homer Simpson meme, like backing into the bushes was, was me. Um, okay. okay. We've done tips. Okay, that was, those tricks. are the tips, friends. Now, mm-hmm. look, I'm going to present two papers at this conference and you're doing these panels. Love Author it. Meets Critic. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try something. I, okay, now here's what I need you to judge. Okay. And also, um, other, uh, friends listening, you can judge silently. I'm thinking of not reading my papers this year. I'm thinking of yes, literally standing it. in front of yes. the podium and freewheeling both of them. Oh, you should. The only interesting directly papers to people's I've faces ever heard are that. Yes. Just like no notes. Do you know what uh, the person I can remember? Ben Witherington. Do you, okay. you know who he is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He and he has this very like, you know, very very uh, trademark Southern mm-hmm. kind of Methodisty preacher type mm-hmm. of thing. He basically preached a paper 
okay. instead of reading it. Everybody else on the panel, if I remember, if I remember right, yeah. read it. Yeah. And his is the only one I remember. And I'm not a Bible person, totally. but I'm just saying, no, I know. yes, do it. Now I think it's it's a high it's a high 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 reward high pain kind of thing. If it goes right. if it goes badly, it's bad. You you won't go badly. I'm it the first. I'm the you. first presenter. What if it goes well? You got to prepare for success sometimes. You yes, know? yes. If it goes well, though, then everyone's then the rest of the people are not going to be doing this on the in my panels. So. Oh, but that doesn't matter. But they'll be good. They'll be great. They'll be great. I'll set yes. them up for success. Okay? They'll do them. And if I bomb badly, it, they'll be even better. Then and they'll, they'll be, be happy. like, "Oh, I'm so glad I read my." Paper They're gonna be like, "I'm so glad that I'm that guy." <laughs> It's me, gonna go great. Let me tell you. Let me let me read you a sentence I, I I'm toying with for the opening for okay. one of my papers. Great. Perhaps great. we could chat about this because I know it. this is something that will be close to your heart. Yes. Okay. Because of your interest in in early American expressions of religion, particularly pre-American Puritans mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. on, I'm getting used to calling them proto-Americans and pre-Americans. Right. That's right. You're doing great. I'm doing American studies. So I'm Welcome. practicing. They're Welcome. Welcome. Um. So, oh, I'm going to, okay, friends, look, if you're, if you're tuning in today for a technical note about American studies, don't worry, I'm going to bring one of those in. So oh, remind me. Okay. So this is wonderful. Here's my opening. I love note, it. First of all, here's my opening sentence. I might, I might lead with this. Okay. Amer and this particular paper, by the way, is called colonial giants and Nephilim spiritualities in America. This is, this is, this is as if our podcast created a beautiful piece of research. It's as though we did. <laughs> My alternate title is American Nephilim, the bodies of giants in colonial imagination and contemporary conspiracies. Love it. Come on. Okay. Love it. It's my first sentence. Mm -hmm. Care to comment? America has a particular national spiritual longing to not just read the Bible, but to become the Bible. Yes. Thousand to percent live agree. the Bible, to bring the people and events and land of the Bible uniquely to its space as a historical phenomenon. Mm -hmm. The Nephilim have fulfilled this longing in strange ways. And in fact, and I'm just off the script here, continue to fulfill that longing. What do you think about that opening? Should, should I say I that? I love it. Should I say that? I you? love that Do you think so that's much. true? Um, like the concept of, so you're talking about these proto-American, so colonial yeah. European folks who come to the continent. Even today, just everybody. Like this, yes. is, a, this is an American, because the session is the Bible in America. Yes, I love so this. I'm gonna strike that America note right away. Just wham. This reminds me of, a book I have cited on this podcast more than once before, To Live Ancient Lives, mm. The Primitivist Dimension in Puritanism by Theodore Dwight Bozeman. Wonderful. And essentially makes that point talking about Puritans. So yes, I, I, I think that's a great, um, great intro because it's really evocative. It makes you, even if you're not an Americanist or a Bible person, mm -hmm. in your mind, you're seeing some of the Americans have so many elaborate forms of mm -hmm. enacting mm -hmm. the Bible. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, it, it makes me think of Latter-day Saints. It makes me think totally, of, you know, totally. yes, I like it. So Great intro. Th there is, intro. so, so, you know, um, my, this paper though is going to be about a particular individual whose name I'd heard, but I didn't really know much about him. Cotton Mather. Oh, love fun. the name. His father, Increase Mather. Increase in Cotton. Increase uh, Mather names was an early president hilarious. of Harvard University, Harvard College, mm -hmm. and Cotton tried to be the president of Harvard but failed. And in the wake of that failure, one of his, I, what I've come to understand was one of his prized intellectual goals was to become part of the Royal Society mm -hmm. in London. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of like for him a form of American inclusion if he can show that like he even as an American, and by the way, Cotton Mather, this is a fun point that I didn't know about. 
Cotton Mather was one of the first people that we know of to use the word America and American to refer to, to, to him about, about himself. himself and his people. It was used often pejoratively by white settlers to refer to what we call Native Americans mm -hmm. prior mm -hmm. to Mather. So he's known for this, but at any rate, and he, one of his pieces of life's work was this thing called the, um, um, in translation, the American Bible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it was a, it was a, a commentary, the Biblia Americana. Um, and it was, it was this massive 30 year project to basically make, I guess, like a, a kind of an, a genuinely American interpretive tradition that he wanted to embody. That would be like super enlightenment, mm -hmm. but also super Puritan. What's fascinating to me about that is that that never ends that mm -hmm. idea that, that there's something about, and this is why I think you're really onto something with mm -hmm. this is because there's something about the land here and the Bible that these emerging groups of people who start thinking about themselves and calling themselves Americans, mm -hmm. that they can't quit, that they're, ev every generation is a new Absolutely. articulation of that. I'm thinking about, you know, the Jeffersonian Bible. It just, it just goes on and on and on. But what I think is really also interesting about that is the idea that these people of European descent, this man of European descent is trying to establish an identity as American, but also trying to, I don't know if the right word is certify yes. his, his credibility Absolutely. with the so European. Important. So important to him. Yes. I want to tell you about maybe even in, in closing here, as we look toward our, our end game here, I, I want to tell you, I'm going to just give you a teaser for how he tried to do that. Okay. Yeah. Give me monsters. But beforehand, I want to read you another sentence and you're going to love this footnote. Okay. okay. Now this is as wonky as it gets. This is the, either the apex of the episode or the opposite of that. Okay. I'm going to read you from the paper. Now Great. people have blamed Mather, for example, they've said some have drawn a foreboding line of influence between Cotton Mather and a, a so-called American psyche by mm. way of Mather's known influence on Benjamin Franklin mm -hmm. as the latter Franklin translated Mather's supposed moral perfectionism and do-gooder reformist mentality into a national mentality. Mm. So says one prominent interpreter, Jan Stieverman, whose work I rely on very heavily. Now, this is what I wanted to, 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 to say to you though. One observes in the field of American studies and Puritan studies within it, a sense of malaise around the problem of blame in particular. Mm. One might like to retain, for example, some explanatory power to characterize the contemporary American surge of say, Christian themed nationalism mm -hmm. as a resurgence of its Puritan past. But that's a project made awkward by the simultaneous characterization of that same past as so narrow or ill-defined that you actually can't use it to explain anything at all. Mm. And now here's the footnote. And I'm, I'm drawing from um, a prominent American studies professor by the last name of Traster here, Bryce Traster. Okay. Traster contends that we, quote, have good reasons to remain alert to the ways in which the country's Puritan past continues to inform contemporary narratives of political power, including a religiously inflected nationalism mm -hmm. that has come to dominate American politics. Right. Um, but this seems complicated to me by his acknowledgement just a page later that, quote, Puritanism may well never have been the significant story of immigrant settlement in 17th century Atlantic colonies, the beginning of a national story of religious and political freedom seeking, or even a predictive story of American ideological development. What does it mean to remain alert to this Puritan past if the Puritan story was not the beginning of a national story or predictive of any contemporary movement? 
Like this tension right here. So it's like, in other words, this is the American studies dilemma. You want to look back and see many Americas, not just one. Right. You want to look back and say, no, there is no single meta narrative that can explain what this is. But then at will, willy nilly, you want to adopt that narrative to try to explain Christian, the present Christian, moment. To explain the present moment. So well, I, that, me, this is a tension. I don't know how to solve let it. Let me just ask you about this. Cause I know we, we don't have all day. That was deep. That was this a deep is, dive. This is that really was a deep, deep dive. But I want to throw it right back at you right now and say, is that how it works in ancient Israel, like in, in conceptions of ancient Israel? So, I mean, what is there a founding? Because I what I hear you wrestling with yeah. is how much Puritans, like what role the Puritan narrative played in its time yeah. and now. Yes. Like, so historians are using it in this particular way that at this time. Yeah. This is, you know, it may, they may be completely overstating their, the, they may be, in fact, manufacturing a narrative. The Puritans to, in their time. Well, the or, Puritans in, um, in their time are one thing. Yeah. And maybe they weren't as important as we thought they were at their, in their time. Uh-huh. And then people now reflecting on the Puritans are uh-huh. using them. Yep. And, you know, I mean, in fact, it's in just common everyday language when people say something is puritanical, they yeah. almost always are talking about Victorian norms, which is funny. Oh, so it's like hundreds of years. If you know, yes. so anyway, even just the way that it gets used in everyday language is a distortion. I yeah. think what most people would think of. So I'm just thinking about biblical studies and about how people conceive of the ancient nation of Israel. Yeah. Is there any sort of analogy? There? Yes. Well, there is, but, to, to cut to the chase though of what I think that you're suggesting, if you're going to use ancient Israel as some basis to make a claim about something today, or you're going to use a Puritan past, there actually has to be a stable thing there for you to use unless you're basically throwing all like pretension of like basic enlightenment style history that I care about and, and cling to as a form of scholarship. Oh, so you mean there or, had to be like a Puritan community? There has to be something that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. If you're going to talk about influence, that influence has to be there. If it's not there, then what are you talking about? So there has to be the Mather family and their legacy has, has to, to have been a thing. has to have been, and not just like an existing thing. I mean, we mm-hmm. know it existed. I don't think there's anybody that claims that Cotton Mather didn't exist, although that would be a fascinating <laughs> and very obscure conspiracy. <laughs> But that it actually, there's a through line right. that you can actually trace you through Ben Franklin is, and through the founding fathers and then through to us today. Like an intellectual inheritance. That, right. Otherwise yes. you can't blame them for anything. You can't blame right. them for Christian. You can't be like Christian nationalists. We were always like this. Look at the Puritans. When in the previous sentence you had just said that the Puritans had no influence and weren't the group we thought they were, et cetera. It's like you pick one. And did not have one. like aspirations to have a, nas- exactly, a nation exactly. or something you like gotta that. You got to pick one. Okay. But how, okay, here's the point then. How did Cotton Mather try to make this claim of legitimacy to, to enter the Royal Society? He wrote them. He went on a bender of letter writing and wrote oh, like, he wow. wrote like, um, 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 he, uh, he, yes, he, he went on a 12 day bender of writing these letters. He sent 29 letters. <gasps> Lots of letters. But the first one, the programmatic one is the most interesting one. It's the one that I take up in this study. Okay. He goes on and on. He has this super florid introduction. But basically what had happened was just that same year or year prior or something like that, he had there had been discovered in upstate New York 
the bones of a giant animal in a riverbed, a prehistoric animal, which we now um, refer to as the American mammoth, like an ice age elephant. That's so fascinating. But which Cotton Mather said was definitely the Nephilim from Genesis 6 who had been killed in the flood and whose bones had in fact made it to America. And thus, I mean, in a way, he's kind of like claiming the Bible happened in America, which is a very Puritan thing to say, right? Uh, He's famous for saying things like, you know, we're living in the 29th chapter of the book of Acts. Acts only has 20. The original Acts 29 network. You know, so stuff like that. So it's this claim, this need to say that the Bible happened here that I wanted to reflect on. And I compare this to some of the emerging Nephilim spiritualities, which also weirdly claim that the Nephilim somehow made it here, but not like in the Cotton Mather way, but okay. in other like creepy ways that they came here maybe to found the Federal Reserve, which is something we talked about a conspiracy theory right? before. That's so fascinating. So what do these share in common? The, the differences are many, but what they share is this, this impulse to read the Bible as, an, as a distinctly American document that happened in America physically and literally with the bodies of these biblical characters. Well, as you know, I think there's a book in there. There's a book in that that idea. Yep. There's, there's gold in them. Hills. There's gold, gold. <laughs> well, um, that's right. It's, it's the, you know, they say the joke is like when two scholars get together at a conference and they're talking, they're like, we should write a book. It's kind of like saying we should start a band. <laughs> right, like, right. You, you should know, write that, you write, that book. Excited. write um, that book. Well, hey, any of you who are heading to San Antonio, look us up while you're there. We wish nothing but the best for you. Drink a lot of water, wear comfortable shoes. Yep, and if you want to make fun of my shoes, I welcome it, I invite it, but I think they're great, and I'm going to go for it. (laughs) Good for you. This has been a production of Weird Religion. A podcast for people who know religion is weird but love it anyway. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram. Follow us into the ocean. Allow your heart to blossom. Retreat into the gorgeous and haunted forests of your mind. Find us there.